0: Wild lives by Fornographic. Hey, I'm Rochelle, and thanks for listening to Wild Lives by Pornographic. Today we're speaking to Dr. Graham Lawrenson, who is an expert on the southern cassowary. Now that's a giant, flightless bird that's endemic to the Australian tropical rainforest. Now before we start chatting to Dr. Graham, let's have a closer look at this incredible bird. First up, we need to get a handle on just how ancient this bird is. The southern cassowary is in the ratite family. These are flightless birds with big bodies that have adapted to life on the ground. The family includes the emu, the ostrich and kiwi. Ratites began to evolve during the Cretaceous period, more than 60 million years ago. So, if you were to say the southern cassowary was a living dinosaur of sorts, you wouldn't be too far off the mark. Today, the Southern Cassowary lives in the wet tropics of Australia, which is an area of nearly 900,000 hectares, and it stretches for 500 kilometres along the coast of far north Queensland. The tropical rainforests here are the oldest on earth, and they are more than 100 million years old. It's an incredible area, and it's thought that between 1,000 and 4,000 Southern Cassowaries call this place home. But what exactly do they look like?
1: The southern cassowary can grow to the same size as a human, with adults growing to 180 centimetres and weighing in at 70 kilos. One of its most defining features is its cask, which is a helmet-like growth on the top of its head. This structure is very similar to the head wedges that were found on the duck-billed dinosaurs of 65 million years ago. Although it's a flightless bird, the southern cassowary has small vestigial wings hidden beneath glossy black feathers. Their necks are featherless and are bright blue, red and purple. Plus they have muscly legs and powerful claws that can grow up to 12 centimetres long. These are designed for self-defence.
0: Now Dr Graham Lawredson lives in the wet tropics of Queensland where he spends most days working as a veterinarian and he treats the usual suspects like dogs, cats and cows and sometimes he rescues cassowaries. In fact, he treated his first wild cassowary in 1996 when he began working as a vet in Tully and today he's Australia's leading authority on cassowary health. His tireless efforts ensured that the Garner Beach Cassowary Rehab Centre actually stayed open when the government was thinking to close it. He's also won a prestigious Citizen of the Year Award and he's also rescued 232 cassowaries in the years that he's been working with them. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That's awesome to speak to you.
1: That's okay.
0: So you grew up very close to the area where you work today. Have you always been around cassowaries?
1: Um. Yeah. Sure. So, as a kid on cane and cattle farm, which was bordered on national park on both sides, and so we used to, my brother and I would occasionally see the odd cassowary as well as a few other critters just roaming the farm. Back then, we didn't particularly think too much of it as anything special.
0: You do so much work with them now today. Was there a specific yes. moment, um, where you kind of took a shine to them, or is it just oh. fell into your life?
1: Yeah, I think it's just sort of one of those things that, that, that I've fallen into. Like by taking the job here in Tully, there was a vet here at the time who used to do a little bit of work with them. Mm. And she, after I was here about six months, she she moved on. And so it just became me. And uh, we've we've worked on it fairly, fairly seriously since then, I guess.
0: What makes them so intriguing to you?
1: Oh, just their size—a massive bird. Amazingly, you know, they're sixty, 70 kilo bird, and, and they can walk through the rainforest without you even hearing them. Mm. Hearing them, they can just wander right up behind you, and, and you don't even know they're there. And the big the big females are just yeah, so colourful and so big and yet so silent all at the same time.
0: One of the things you just mentioned then is the females. So the females are bigger and they are more dominant, and the That's father, correct. yeah, the father raises yeah. the young. How does this all That's work? Right.
1: Oh, well, they're not alone in that. Emus um, in Australia are very similar. The female will lay the eggs and the male looks after the, the eggs and the chicks when they're young. So it is not that rare a thing. But different to most bird species, most birds, the male and the female, will both look after. Yeah, so I, that's pretty standard for, for, for most birds. But in this case, the, the, the female lays the eggs and that's normally the last you will... Um, she does a run she'll, she, she'll have to do with them.
0: Another really interesting thing about the cassari is a way that they communicate. I read somewhere that their low frequency booming, which kind of sounds like a, a drum and bass party yes. bass line, um, yes. that's the lowest sound that a bird can produce at 32 Hz. That's hertz. right. <laughs>
1: and they actually make sound that we can't hear. So There's a sound below what our hearing can hear. And when you get up close and they make that sound, you actually feel vibration going <laughs> through your body. First time it happened to me, I thought there was an earthquake because of my body was shaking, yet there was no noise, and, and that was coming from the cassowary.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, they're, they're fairly solitary birds as well, and they each have a territory of about 12 kilometres. Does this need yep. for territory bring them into conflict with people?
1: Oh, yes, it does. Um, mind you, they generally choose to be in contact with people, un- unfortunately, in that mm. um, certainly in the sort of peri urban areas, a lot of people wrongly will feed them and encourage them to, to sort of come into areas where perhaps they shouldn't. And so, yeah, while, while they have plenty of room to roam, they do have probably too much interaction with people from time to time, which is a problem.
0: Hmm. Are they dangerous to humans?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they definitely they have the ability and the weapons and sometimes the inclination to, to do significant damage to, well, often to themselves, actually. They fight readily amongst themselves, but also to any other uh, animal, whether that be a dog or a, or a wallaby or most definitely people.
0: So if the females are more dominant, are they the ones who are fighting for territory or do the males get amongst it as uh, well? The
1: males will definitely get amongst it as well. Mm. Yeah, so, and even in the non-breeding time, the males and the females will fight, the females and the females will fight, and the males and the males will fight. So oh. they're, not, they're not the friendliest of critters. <laughs> having said that, although we talked about they have, they're having a range of, of, of so far and sort of a territory, a lot of that territory will overlap and, and intersect with other birds' territory. So so obviously they, they do come in contact with each other fairly frequently and it's only very infrequently they'll actually have a fight. Mm. Normally, like, like in most animal species, there'll be a dominant bird. The others will know that that's the dominant bird, and if it walks past, they, they'll stay well away. Mm. It's really only occasionally when they get in a bit of a territorial dispute or more often a dispute over food mm. um, that they'll actually have a physical altercation.
0: What do they eat?
1: Uh, contrary to public opinion, they eat just about anything. So known to be fruit eaters, known to be sort of seed dispersers of, of the rainforest, and, and they're definitely very, very good at that. But over and above that, they'll eat um, small rodents, they'll eat worms, they'll eat yeah, cockroaches and any of those sort of insects that crawl along on the, on the forest floor, little frogs, um, also sort of any sort of seed, any sort of palm fronds, even grass seed, even fungi and mushrooms and all that sort of stuff.
0: Oh, not picky.
1: Um, not picky at all, yeah.
0: <laughs> In terms of weather patterns, the wet tropics can be pretty volatile, especially with mm. cyclones. How does yes. this affect them?
1: Oh, look, cassowaries are a very, very tough bird. It takes a lot to, to really cause them a lot of drama. Cyclones are an issue post cyclone just from a lack of food. So if the cyclone's particularly nasty and we've had a few up here in the last 10 years or so that have been that way mm. there will be a, a significant decrease in fruiting trees after the cyclone simply because they've been knocked over or damaged mm. so that they don't uh, they don't fruit like they should um and therefore these cassowaries have got to roam further or and or come out into the into those urban areas looking for food
0: mm. so you do have to rescue them because of this kind of wandering into human yeah. habitat what does yes. a typical rescue involve?
1: Uh, uh, very wide and varied. Classically, the two or three main things are having been hit by a car. Mm. Now, some of those can be quite horrific in that their injuries are, are uh, you know, to the point that they can't be saved. So we try and, and uh, euthanise those guys as quickly as possible just to to stop their pain. Some of the others are are more superficial wounds or wounds that maybe require just a short time of of rehab in the rehab centre before they can be released again. Others can just be treated on the spot, just a little bit of pain relief and maybe something for shock and off they go.
0: Don't you get scared? (laughs) An injured cassowary like a dinosaur with those killer claws?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely the time when you need to have your wits about you and, and hopefully you have maybe... Yeah, an assistant or two if possible, not always possible. We also use drugs, obviously, as vets. We, we have access to, to some sedatives and those type of things. And one of the research projects that I did a few years ago now was actually determining a good anesthetic protocol for a range of different cassary ages and sizes. And so we're, we're pretty good at giving them drugs and getting them relaxed and getting them comfortable and us safe pretty quickly early on if we can.
0: Throughout your career, you've you've released 150 birds back into the wild. Yeah. How does that feel?
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's good. Sometimes it's not so good because you find <laughs> you get one that's been hit by a car that comes in and you'll scan it for a microchip and you realise that, hey, this was one I released a few years ago. Oh.
0: And
1: now the poor fella's been run over or what have you. But in most cases, yeah, they're a funny critter in that you, you, you let them go and generally you never, ever see them again so um, but oh, it's good fun and I, I try at most times to get out to be there at the release time if I if I can just um, yeah just for that job satisfaction
0: I guess mm. can you tell us a bit about Reggie
1: yeah so Reggie was uh, a bit of a sad case really uh, he actually featured in a, one little documentary that we made years ago it was after the first big cyclone up here um, and he came in as a partially bald cassowary which is a pretty um, ugly sight I guess Um, and he subsequently over time uh, lost more feathers we eventually um, sedated him got him into the rehab centre to try and basically work out what was going on the difficulty with a lot of more exotic species is when we do blood tests and this sort of thing We don't have normal values. We don't know what a normal cassowary's Mm. um, blood count might be and what sort of their different parameters in their blood might be. So in his case, uh, we were suspicious that he had a thyroid problem, but – We weren't able to definitively diagnose it. Over time, he got to the point he was completely bald and he used Mm. to to have to have a really shady pen because the poor guy would actually get sunburned. Um, Yeah. And he, for good or for bad, and and, some people may not like it, but we we used to – he was one of the first birds that we did a lot of anesthetics in and and, and sort of through trial and and error, we were able to work out a lot of the different doses that we – were able to use. In the end, we had to put Reggie down because he yeah, he was getting Suffering. to the point that it was starting to affect him. And obviously, on post mortem, then we were able to confirm our suspicions of his thoroid issue that he had, which um, which is a really weird disease to have. It's not common in any birds, and it's the only cassowary that we've ever found to have have that issue. He was quite an old bird, um, mm. and so possibly it might be one of those things that, that older birds will get. It's just mm. the first time we've ever seen
0: it. Poor little dude. Well, not so little yeah. dude. <laughs> yes. But you've been doing this for 26 years, and over that time you've faced enormous challenges in terms of, mm. you know, keeping centres open and also having to, you know, have these sad moments with the animals. Yes. But your commitment has never wavered. What's kept you going?
1: Oh, um, honestly, generally it's good fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> These, the, these guys, I, I guess I'm not necessarily a, a conservationist or, or a, a person who is active in, in any sort of environmental group or anything. Really, my passion is more for the birds and, and for trying to provide them with, with as good a quality veterinary care as mm. we can, knowing that the end product is if, if cassowaries are good and healthy in the environment, then the environment is going to be good and healthy because they do provide a major part in in seed dispersal and that sort of thing within the rainforest and and we know if the cassowaries are healthy in the rainforest then the rainforest most definitely will be healthy as well.
0: Thank you so much for your time today, you've been awesome to talk to.
1: No, that's cool, thank you.
0: And thank you for listening. Now if you'd like to know more about the southern cassowary visit www.ehp.qld.gov.au or follow the link to the website on Fornographic.com. Catch you next time. Wild Lives by Pornographic. Follow us on omni.fm or search for Wild Lives by Pornographic on iTunes. Subscribe today and you'll never miss an episode.